Blessings to each and every one of you in the name of our God, um, the Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. What a blessed joy it is uh, to be able to have this opportunity to engage in Bible study, better known as TNT. And of course, we're uh, delighted for those that are joining us online. Uh, in this virtual space. Uh, it is a humbling privilege for you to take time out of your schedule to join us for Bible study. I am so humbled that you would uh, take time out of your schedule to participate in this moment. And I thank God for each and every one of you that um, is chiming in. Of course, uh, if you have the capacity, you can use the chat to ask questions. I am able to follow along as far as that's concerned uh, to answer your questions on the spot. So if you have any questions, don't mind putting them in the chat. We want to encourage your interaction and participation as far as this is concerned. We are looking forward to um, drilling down today on James chapter one, verses nine through 18. James chapter one, verses nine through 18. And um, I think that the Lord has something very uh, deep that uh, God would like to reveal to us as far as this time of study is concerned. Uh, but before we do that, let us bow our heads for a word of prayer as we engage in this Thursday teaching. God, we come and we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to study your word, to learn more about you, to discern how you want us to govern our daily lives and becoming our better selves. Thank you, God, for the writing of James. And God, as we look at verses 9 through 18, we pray about the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit that you will be in our midst, that you, the master teacher, the ultimate rabbi, will show up and teach us your precepts. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, <clears throat> James chapter 1, starting at verse 9. And let me, if I could, as you find that either in your physical Bible or in your digital Bible, uh, let me just remind you who James is. James, of course, is the half-brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the son of Mary and Joseph. So he knew Jesus on a deep family level, okay? So this is not some fly-by-night person that pops up on the scene as far as um, being able to articulate some words about Jesus. So let's look at uh, what James says as far as several interactions are concerned. We're going to talk about how he wants us to view those who are rich and poor, and then how we ought to um, perceive God as we go through our trials. So verses 9 through 11 reads like this, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat <clears throat> than it withers the grass 
his flower falls and his beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But let each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Amen. So there's a lot in these verses that hopefully and prayerfully we'll be able to get through to unpack as far as the time that is ours is concerned. But if you don't mind, I want to go through and have you to highlight some words or some phrases uh, so that you can refer to them when you look at this passage again. So in verse nine, let the lowly brother, and if you would underline the word lowly brother, glory, if you would highlight the word glory, in his exaltation, if you would underline the phrase exaltation. <clears throat> verse 10, but the rich, if you would um, underline the word, the rich in his humiliation, if you would highlight the word humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. And if you would, uh, highlight the word flower. Verse 11, for no sooner has the sun risen with its burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls, highlight the word flower, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man if you would underline the, the word rich man, will also fade away. <clears throat> Excuse me. I would like for you to, if you would, in verse 10, the word flower, and in verse 11, the word flower, draw a line between those two. If you would, what you got underlined in, but the rich in verse 10, and rich man in verse 11, if you would, draw a line between those two. All right, let's look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. I like the phrase temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you would highlight that whole phrase, underline the word been approved and underline the words crown of life. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, highlight the word tempted. 
that I am tempted. I like the word tempted by God, but God cannot be tempted. I like the word tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt. I like the word tempt anyone. But each one who is tempted, I like the word tempted when he is drawn away. I want you to underline that word drawn away by his own desires and entice. I want you to circle the word desire and I want you to circle the word entice. Then when desire, if you would circle the word desire, draw a line from the word desire in verse 15 to desire in verse 14. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown, bring forth death. If you would underline that whole phrase, it gives birth to sin and sin full grown brings forth death. Verse 16, do not be deceived. Highlight that phrase, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift, if you would highlight the words, every good gift and highlight the word, every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the father of lights. If you would circle that whole phrase, the father of lights, with whom there's no variation, underline the word, no variation or shadow of turning, underline the word shadow of turning. In verse 18, for his own will, he brought of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Highlight the phrase, the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstborn of his creatures. If you would highlight the phrase, a kind of his firstborn of creatures and circle the word kind. All right. <clears throat> we got a lot here. We got a lot here that we want to uncover. And we want to unpack. What I want to impress upon us as far as this time of sharing is concerned is that James is addressing the Christians who are connected to the church in Jerusalem. They have been spread out throughout what is called the diaspora, better known as the Roman Empire at that time. And so James is turning his attention to potential differences among those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, most notably along socioeconomic lines. Now, what's the common bond between the rich and the poor? It's their relationship with Jesus Christ. What else is a common bond between the rich and the poor? It is that they're going to face trials as their faith is tested. All right. Now, what James wants us to understand is that regardless of your social or economic position, we as believers in Jesus Christ must understand our eternal advantages. The brother in her in a humble circumstance can be made glad in his high standing spiritually. And then the one who is rich in material things can be glad for his human frailty. Because what James wants us to understand is that our socioeconomic status is going to pass away. Wealth withers like a wildflower in the hot sun. Prominence is going to fade like grass. 
but our hope in the eternal is evidence of our believing faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to impress upon us as we look at where we are right now. That the greatest equalizer for all of us is suffering. Let me say it again. The greatest equalizer for all of us, rich, poor, white, black, male, female, old, young, suffering is a great equalizer. Now, here's the thing that I want to impress upon us, because even though out in the culture and the world, they may apply different standards based upon socioeconomic wealth, when it comes to the house of the Lord, we refer to each other as brothers and sisters, regardless of our socioeconomic status. We should be referring to each other as brothers and sisters, regardless of our race and regardless of gender. We speak to each other as brothers and as sisters. All right. So what James really wants to drive home is that those who don't have much are lifted up in the eyes of God. But those who consider themselves rich and got it going on have the capacity to understand that they are humble. So notice that it is the lowly that is mentioned first in this text. They receive the place of honor. All right. Now, here's what I want to impress upon those that are, are listening to me right now, because I want you to understand that these scattered Jewish Christians would have been under such circumstances where they would have been considered to be relatively low because they were ostracized and marginalized. And some of them were even disowned by their families because they decided to follow Jesus Christ. Also, what we got to understand, and when you read the writings of the early church, the early church went through a lot of persecution. And not only did they go through a lot of persecution as far as being despised for following Jesus, but they also, also went through socioeconomic persecution due to famine, right? Due to the lack of being able to grow crops, due to the lack of uh, rain. And so they had to deal with that as um, something to face. Now, here's where I really want to drive home this point because when you and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it places us in a high position and it becomes a rich heritage for us to pass on to our children and our children's children. My staff and I, we participated last week in a virtual conference called the Church and Culture Conference. And the presenter, Dr. James Emery Wright, the pastor of the Mecklenburg Community Church here in Charlotte, said something that's very profound. And I, I want to get this over right now. That the greatest influencers of your children's faith is not the church, it's parents. 
it's parents that not only bring your children to church, but talk about faith at home, live their faith at home. You and I become the greatest influences for our children to have the faith drilled into them. All right. So the world may say that we as followers of Jesus Christ don't have anything. But when you and I, because of our connection to Jesus Christ, have to go through some stuff, we're not going to lack anything. Now, this is the wonderful thing about being connected in the body of Christ. Because when you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit infuses into us a new understanding of dignity. All right. Now, while there should not be class distinction in the church, we know that there is at times. Uh, while that should not be the case, we know that it takes place. One thing that we must understand is that all believers share distinction and dignity of being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of us, regardless of our socioeconomic status, are given the mission to say the good news into the world. Regardless of whether you are a multi-millionaire or if you ain't got no heir, we are all changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're all charged with sharing the word of Jesus Christ. We have a dignity because Christ died for our sins. So whatever our social or economic status is, James challenges us to look beyond it to appreciate the eternal advantages that you and I have in Christ Jesus. So that's what he's talking about here. That's, that's, that's what he's drilling down here. That regardless of how much money you have, regardless of uh, what you wear, regardless of where you shop, when it comes to the church, when it comes to the household of faith, when it comes to um, us being brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, that all of us are put on the same level at the foot of the cross. Okay? So he does that, and then notice what he sets us up with. When you look at verse 12 through verse 18, he wants us to understand, and we have to, and, and I really want to, to, to hammer this home as far as, as this time is, is concerned. He says, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised him. That word blessed in the Greek means to be made happy. Uh, it, 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 it basically deals with the fact that you got a sense of deep joy 
because you're connected to God's favor. And when you think about it, Jesus in his Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five, verses three through, three through 12, talks about blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who are mourned. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are the merciful. Happy are, uh, are the pure in heart. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For each one of those, they receive something. For each one of those, they receive something. Now, James is not directly quoting Jesus's words, but he is giving Jesus's intention. So what he wants us to understand is that today's trials, today's temptations will seem like training when we face tomorrow challenges. And the way we get to God's winner's circle is to love God and to stay faithful under pressure. Now, James ain't telling us to enjoy the pain. And James ain't telling us to um, smile and think that our trials are fun, but rather he is letting us know that these trials serve a purpose and it is to prove and improve our faith as well as to help perpetuate an attitude of joy. All right, now, let me look at this word, temptation, because in some translations, you see the word temptation. In some translations, you see the word test. In some translations, you see the word trial. But in the translation I'm using with you right now, it is the word temptation. And in a moment, I'm going to talk about the difference and the aspect of temptation. But whether it's temptation, whether it's a test or a trial, James is saying, happy is the person who endures it, who remains faithful through it, who don't give in to it. Okay. For when he has stood the test of time, when he has been approved, he's going to receive what? A crown of life. Now, here's what I want you to understand, because that aspect of being approved is a form of success. You're going to go through some temptations. You're going to deal with some trials in this life. You're going to have some tests in this life. All right. And what I want you to understand is this, if you don't get nothing else. Tests, temptations and trials don't last forever. That's a hallelujah right there. Because James is saying, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. What I want to impress upon you right now is that James is letting us understand and trying to help us to appreciate the fact that this thing does not last forever. That in the end, what matters is not whether our own testing has been easy or difficult, but whether or not we've been approved through the temptation, through the test, through the trials. Now, 
Let's look at when it talks about he will receive the crown of life. That aspect of the crown of life is a twofold meaning. Okay. It's a twofold meaning. First of all, he will receive the crown of life, which is considered to be eternal life and a reward in eternal life. But then also that that person receives the crown of life, which is the crown is life. The life which is promised is life in the here and now with a sense of fullness and completion. All right. So here's what James is trying to say. For when he's been approved, we will receive the crown of life to which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James wants us to understand that when you're going through the temptation, the test or the trial, that you can't focus on instantaneous results because it doesn't act like it, it doesn't work like that. What is happening is we are being made mature. We are being caused to endure. We are being made perfect uh, to become what God would have for us to be. And when we hang in there, God is doing something wonderful, something marvelous as far as our reality is concerned. Now, I'll be honest. I wish that God had another way to develop me. I don't want to go through a test. I don't want to go through a trial. I don't want to go through a temptation. <laughs> I really wish that God had another way to develop me. But this is how it happened. So there is no such thing as immediate gratification. It does not work like that, contrary to popular belief. And I know we got a whole lot of folks who want your stuff and you want it now. But God does not move according to our time. So you got to be very careful about some of these so-called preachers and folks like that talking about, that by three o'clock on Friday, you're going to have so-and-so, so-and-so. What happens when it doesn't happen by three o'clock tomorrow? Do you give up? Do you throw in the towel and say, oh, God ain't real? No, don't, don't, don't do that. You, you, you got to trust God in, 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 in all of this. Ah, uh, Now, here's where I want to drill down because here's where the nitty-gritty takes place. I got to give you a correct view of God as you go through temptation. Because the Bible says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and entice. I I, 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 I got to help you to process this. First of all, you got to understand the distinction between the test and the temptation. 
Okay. Got to understand the distinction between the test and temptation. God does not tempt you. If you don't get anything else, I want you to understand that. Don't go around talking about the Lord tempt you or the Lord put that desire in you to do ABC. No, God does not tempt you. Okay. Temptation is used by the enemy to bring out the worst in you. God will use a test to develop you. I think I just said something. Temptation is what the enemy uses to bring out the worst in you. And, and, and here it is, because that temptation is linked to an internal desire. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, that temptation tickles something that's already in you that you are prone to want to do anyway. God will send, send, send a test to bring out the best in you. So when we look back at the Garden of Eden, when the snake tempted Adam and Eve to disobey God, unfortunately, even before the fall, it was the desire. And it was incumbent upon them to talk, to say to the desire, no. Had Adam and Eve said no to the desire, they wouldn't have been tempted. But because they gave in to the desire, temptation came into full form. I think I'm teaching better than many of y'all are typing amen right now. So, so let me drill down. God wants us to make good choices, not evil ones. All right. Hardships, suffering can produce spiritual maturity and it can lead to eternal benefits if we hang in there by faith. But guess what? We can also fail tests. And I know I failed some tests in my life. And we can also give in to temptation. And when we fail, we often use all kinds of excuses and reasons for our action. And the most dangerous excuse we can use is to blame God for tempting us. Lord, Lord, you shouldn't have put that desire in me. Mm -mm. Don't do that. Don't do that. You, 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 you're going to mess up. Don't do that. Here, 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 here's where I'm really getting ready to have fun. Um, uh, uh, when we look at temptation, the word for temptation uh, in, in the Greek, when tempted, is a direct evil impulse. A temptation from within or temptation from without usually is connected to the work of the enemy. And, and that's why when Jesus said in his prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, really what Jesus is saying, because that does not get translated properly into English, God does not lead us into temptation. But what Jesus is saying is keep us from falling into temptation. You got to understand that God tests people for the good. God does not tempt people for evil. And, and even when we face temptation, 
when you understand how sovereign God is in allowing the enemy to tempt us, it is so that as the enemy is tempting us, our faith is being refined. And as our faith is being refined, our faith is being refined because we rely more upon the spirit of Christ to help us to stand the temptation. Because guess what? Even Jesus was tempted. When you go, listen, when you look at Jesus' temptation in, 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 in the wilderness, his three temptations, it wasn't God tempting him. It was Satan. So don't go around saying, God is tempting me. All right? That God is at fault for sending this experience and you try to blame God for your failure. Because when you look back at what happened in the Garden of Eden, when you start blaming God, you're acting just like Adam and Eve. Remember, re remember when the Lord came to Adam and Eve in the garden and they were hiding uh, in some bushes and they clothed them and, and, and they clothed themselves with fig leaves. And, and when God came in the garden, um, he said, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I was hiding because I was naked. And the Lord said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten up the tree that I told you not to eat up? And then Adam started blaming Eve, and then Eve blamed the serpent, and then God said, all right, I'm going to deal with all of y'all. Here, 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 is, here, is here are some excuses that we make when we're tempted. It's somebody else's fault. I, I, I couldn't help it. Uh, well, everybody else doing it. Um, what's another one? What's, what's another one? Uh, what's, what's another one? Um, uh, uh, nobody's perfect. Uh, oh, I, oh, I'm only human. I didn't know it was wrong. Um, I, 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 I was being pressured into it. Yeah, God allows for us to be tempted. Yeah, God allows for us to be tempted. That's the sovereignty of God, Miss Karen. God allows for us to be tempted, but he doesn't send a temptation. Just like Job. When Job was being tested, God allows for us to be tempted. God cannot be tempted by evil. I want you to understand this. God, God cannot be tempted by evil and, and, um, uh, and God does not tempt anybody. All right, God ain't trying to trip you up on temptation. And let me say this, because if you don't get nothing else, get this. Your failure and my failure ain't God's fault. That's based upon the choices that we make. Now, we, we, we live in a society now where we, want to, where we want to blame everything on everybody except for take responsibility for our own actions. Because here's how Satan works. Here's how the enemy works. As a matter of fact, you can't even say the devil made you do it. The enemy just knows what buttons to push, what desires to present before you. 
Because notice in verse 15, notice in verse 15 how the enemy works these steps in temptation. He says, but each one tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. There's some stuff in you, brother, in you, sister. An evil impulse, good impulse. And unfortunately, many of us at times give in to the bad impulse or the evil impulse. It's stuff in us. Because we're saying, that's why Paul said, when I decide to do right, I wind up doing wrong. And the wrong I don't want to do, uh, 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 I wind up doing anyway. Oh, rich man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Right? So the enemy presents choices. But unfortunately, he knows our desires. And those desires, those desires, he tap into and make it seem real, real good. See, see, here, here's what I'm giving a drop on you. Your desire can either be fed or starved. Uh, if the desire is evil, you got to starve it. Because desires soon become actions. And evil desires that become actions causes us to sin. And when we sin, we die. Uh-oh. 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 Look, 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 look at this biological imagery that James is using. James is saying, watch this, because the word for desire in this text is lust. Okay? So, 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 so James is saying this, this desire or this lust is the seed that when it hooks up with the devil, it produces sin. So we give birth to sin that sin becomes full grown and it brings forth death he, he, listen I'm hoping that I, I'm helping somebody because unchecked sin the unchecked desire brings sin Unconfessed sin ultimately kills you. So just as the right response to trials can help us to grow and mature in our faith in God, the wrong response, response to lust and desire will cause us to decline and cause us to ultimately die. So he, he, here it is. Follow the flow. There are two ways to do this thing. Desire or lust leads to temptation. Temptation leads to sin. Sin leads to habitual 
uh, becoming a habit. That habit of sin leads to death. That's one way you can do this. The other way is that as you're going through a trial, the trial leads to faith. Faith leads to obedience. Obedience leads to endurance. Endurance leads to a crown of life. You make the choice on which one you're going to choose. And, and, and unfortunately, unfortunately, so many of us have brought into death our passions die, our purpose can die, our protection at times can die, the graces and the mercy that God wants to give to us can die, that when we engage in allowing sin to become the ruling precedence as far as our reality is concerned, and we make excuses for those sins, and we try to justify our sins, we wind up dying. For some, it's a physical death. For others, it's a mental death. For others, it's an emotional death. For, for some, there are blessings that God wants to give you, but God can't give it to you because you're not in the proper position to receive it, which really serves as a segue to, where that, to the next thing I'm getting ready to drop on us. All right. It, it takes spiritual growth and consistent dependence upon God to know when a desire can be calmly evaluated and when a desire can easily become lustful and controlling. That's why you got to stay close to God. Now, let me really help us to understand because Sin, when it full grown, is full grown when it becomes a fixed habit. And death is that separation from God that happens as a result of our sin. So even, even when we yield to temptation, our sin sets deadly events into motion. So you just can't say, I'm going to stop sinning. Because damage has been done. Here. I know this is this is a hard word. And because we live in a culture that wants to give excuses for everything that is done under the sun. Okay. But I, I got to give this to you. Our des decision to stop sinning may take care of the future, but it does not heal your past. The healing for the past got to come through repentance and forgiveness. And sometimes you got to do restitution. I'm just glad that there is a remedy. And I'm glad that God through Jesus Christ breaks the cycle of the desire, sin, death. 
All right. Let me say that again. Your decision to stop sinning will help you in the future, but it does nothing for your past. That has to come through forgiveness and, and um, repentance. Saying I'm sorry, as moving toward forgiveness. And sometimes you got to make reparations or restitution. As I like to say, it's tight, but it's right. Let me go ahead and close this out. So, how do we yield not to temptation? How do we not fall um, into temptation? Let's look at verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. I just got through talking about death, but now let's talk about light and life and legacy. The legacy, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the father of light. Um, um, let me see if I can bring this home. Somebody says, can the decision to stop sinning and or recognize sin lead to repentance? Uh, it should lead to repentance, but what is repentance? Repentance is you making up your mind and making a 180 degree turn from what you were doing wrong to doing right. That's what real repentance is. So real repentance is not saying, I'm sorry, knowing that you're going to do what you just done that was wrong. But real repentance is you turning away with great intentionality. You can't do that in and of yourself that requires the Holy Spirit. That requires the Holy Spirit. So hopefully that answers your question, Sister, Sister Moore. All right. So verse 17 through 18, and, and we'll wrap up. Um, James points out that first of all, God is the source of everything good. And God's good gifts are also perfect. Okay, so the solution for our temptation is found in a close relationship with God, the Father, and a constant response to the word of God. In other words, let's look at verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation. And basically that word variation means that God does not change or a shadow of turning, all right? So God is not only the source of good gifts, but God is the very source of the giving impulse. Let me say that again. God is not only the source of good gifts, but God is the very source of the giving impulse. In other words, the ability to give is one of the aspects of the image of God in us. In today's culture, we love to talk about, you know, all you got to do is love. You know, if you love, you know, you're like God. And even though John talks about how God is love, you and I are most like God, not only when we love, but also when we give. For God so loved the world that God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not 
perish but have everlasting life. How do you know, Lady Pierre asks, how do we how do we know when restitution has been been fulfilled? Um, so, for example, let me use this as as an example, Lady Pierre. Um, if um, when it comes to and, and this is very basic. This is very basic. Um, if I puncture your tire and I say that I'm sorry, if I puncture your tire and I say that I'm sorry, I've apologized, but the restitution is to offer to pay to either get your tire fixed or get a new tire. So restitution has been fulfilled when there is an attempt to replace what has been lost or destroyed. Um, and I guess one of the things when we look at particularly black folks in America, unfortunately, America ain't gonna never, never do restitution. <laughs> um, uh, when it comes to how blacks have been treated in, in this country, particularly through the acts of reparation. Uh, but in our relationships, it is uh, a sense of trying to restore what has been damaged. So, Following the flow of the, of the text, verse 17 through verse 18, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from God. Um, in, in driving this home, when I talk about the ability to God, for, to give is one aspect of God's image of, in us, and, and God's gifts are also perfect. Here's what I want you to understand. There are good gifts given at the right time for good purposes. And, and this can result in God withholding a good gift from us that would not be perfect for us. All right. Let me say that again. There are times when God can withhold a good gift for from us because it's not a perfect gift for us. That same gift may be perfect for someone else. So the shout is that you and I should rejoice with others when they receive good gifts from God, even though we have not received the same gift they got. The blessed assurance that we all have as being children of God is that God always will do what's best for us. Not just good things today and bad things tomorrow. That's why the writer Paul says all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and who are the called according to his purpose. God is not like the your relative who gives a beautiful warm coat that we've always wanted. But unfortunately, it's the wrong side. <laughs> uh, God's gifts are very good and they also are perfect you know it, it, it's, it's not like the person um, um, who buys you 
some beautiful shoes you've always wanted, but they're too, they're too big. You can't wear them. God's gift fit us, watch this, to a T. Let me wrap this up. Let me wrap this up. He gives us birth by the word of truth. You and I are saved because God chose to save us. Our salvation is not by accident and our salvation is not because God had to do it. The birth is the new birth given to all believers. And the word of truth that he talks about in this text is the gospel, the good news of salvation. And because of God's willingness to offer us the gift of salvation, you and I become like a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, the Jewish people back then would bring their first fruits or their first crops to the temple to be offered as a sacrifice. Um, believers are considered to be first fruits because we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. In other words, you and I are no longer sinners who are separated from God, but we're now children of God. The rest of all creation got to wait for God's plan to unfold, but you and I who have been born again, we're first fruits. We are way ahead of the curve, right? We are into the kingdom of God. We're the new creation that has been established. And, and though we have been given a spiritual birth, we live in a world that has yet to be transformed. So your living and my living as this kind of first fruits of his creatures uh, basically means that we are example of God's goodness and we are role models of the change that God can make. To help us override lustful desires. So what does the kind of first fruit of his creature look like? This drives it home and I'm done. It is our ability to deal with the lustful desires of temptation that gets us off track and to be able to endure the trials that makes us perfect. And when you do that, you really exhibit what it means to be a first fruit of God's creation. All right. That's our time for the day. Hopefully and prayerfully, this has been um, beneficial. Next week, we will pick up from verse 19 through the end of verse 26. And so we look forward to you joining us as far as that is concerned. Before I close, are there any other questions or, or comments? Any questions or comments? Any questions or comments? Any questions or comments? 
All right. If not, let me just share a couple of things and then I will, um, we will close out. Um, I hope and pray that, again, you all have been blessed as far as this time of sharing is concerned. Um, just to let you all know that any person that desires to give, I want you to know you're sowing into good ground here at the St. Paul Church. And there are three ways that you can give here at St. Paul. One way is by dropping off your check or money order uh, cash here at the church and call the church office at 704-334-5309 to make sure someone is here to receive your offering. Or you can mail it to 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, 28205, your check or money order. Another way you could give is through our website, through ACS or Church Life. And then you can also give through the app called Givelify. If you don't have that app on your smart device, you can download that app to your smart device, connect it to your favorite credit card and give. Here at St. Paul, we, we're doing several things. We got some major, major renovation and improvement projects that are going on right now. We're in the process of trying to waterproof our basement. And we have construction crews on, on uh, the property that's digging around the youth sanctuary to put a permanent membrane uh, and waterproof our basement. Every time we have a heavy rain, we get water into the basement and it does a lot to destroy our flooring and furniture down there. So we, we want to try to mitigate that. The other thing is on this Sunday, thanks to your generosity, um, we're going to be cutting a check for $25,000 to Haiti, uh, to lock carry for Haiti relief. And we know all of that money goes directly to Haiti. That's what Lot Carey does. And so I had asked our congregation to try to raise at least $10,000. You all have far exceeded um, the ask. And God be praised and God bless you all. So for our disciples and friends, we're going to do a check presentation on this Sunday. And we're going to send off that check next week to Lot Carey so um, that our foreign mission uh, partner, uh, and we do work with Lot Carey, can, of course, be um, blessed by the generosity of St. Paul disciples and friends. Well, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer real quick, and um, I bid you all adieu. God, we come and we thank you for the wonderful opportunity to study your word. Empower us, oh God, to make the differentiation between um, a trial and temptation. Help us not to yield to temptation. Help us to endure our trials so that we can really resemble the first fruit of being new creatures in you. God, we pray right now you would keep us throughout the rest of this day and this week. And we pray, oh God, that you would help us uh, to be examples of your grace, mercy, love, compassion, and forgiveness. forgiveness. Dismiss us from this moment of conversation and study and keep us in your care until we come together again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Listen, God bless you all.